Today on a very special Chasing the Word. When suddenly a messenger of the Lord stood in front of them, and the darkness was replaced by a glorious shining light of God's glory, and they were terrified. Don't be afraid, he said to them. Listen, I bring good news, news of great joy, news that will affect all people everywhere. Today, in the city of David, a liberator, a king, has been born. He is the promised anointed one, the supreme authority. You will know you have found him when you see a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a feeding trough. Hello and welcome to Compassion Radio with Bram Floria. Today, Bram and his wife Sandy bring our four-part series on Advent to a close with a final look at what this very special season means to you and I as believers. Here's Bram and Sandy to get things started. And a good morning and welcome again to our Advent series. And Christmas is upon us. Right, it certainly is. We wanted to focus in a special way. It is in the theme we've been having, how did the church come to be? Right. How did it become the force to reckon with that it has become in the centuries since? As far as those who follow Christ, for them it starts in the manger. Mm -hmm. All we know is that the scriptures and the prophecies were fulfilled. And because of that, we are deeply rewarded and enriched because of the choices God made on our behalf. Yes. For the whole month of December, we have been on a journey, the Advent journey. We've been waiting. We've been full of hope. We've been joyful. We've been expectant, and this day, this reading for the Advent is the cherry on top, you might say, the crown of the event. We've had these themes starting with the promise of salvation, moving on to the path of obedience, and the perseverance of the saints. And the last phase in this Advent story we wanted to focus on was the peace of God. The arrival of Jesus, we know, was going to rend the world in half. It was going to make a very clean break between evil and and good, light and darkness, hope and hopelessness or despair, all kinds of contrasts that will be so evident because Jesus showed up. His very presence creates a schism between the things that are of the world or of the devil and the things that are of the Spirit and of God. It was so stark, this change that happened. Right now, at a time when there seems to be no peace, we have this peace of God. And we're going to start with the story of the nativity, as we have learned it over the years, from the second chapter of Luke. Around the time of Elizabeth's amazing pregnancy and John's birth, the emperor in Rome, Caesar Augustus, required everyone in the Roman Empire to participate in a massive census. This was the first census since Quirinius had become governor of Syria. Each person had to go to his or her ancestral city to be counted. Mary's fiancé, Joseph, from Nazareth in Galilee, had to participate in the census in the same way as everyone else. Because he was a descendant of King David, his ancestral city was Bethlehem, David's birthplace. Mary, who was now late in her pregnancy that the messenger Gabriel had predicted, accompanied Joseph. While in Bethlehem, she went into labor and gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped the baby in swaddling clothes and laid him in a feeding trough because the inn had no room for them. Nearby in the fields, outside of Bethlehem, a group of shepherds were guarding their flocks from predators in the darkness of night, when suddenly a messenger of the Lord stood in front of them, and the darkness was replaced by a glorious shining light of God's glory, and they were terrified. Don't be afraid, he said to them. Listen, I bring good news 
news of great joy, news that will affect all people everywhere. Today, in the city of David, a liberator, a king, has been born. He is the promised anointed one, the supreme authority. You will know you have found him when you see a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a feeding trough. At that moment, the first heavenly messenger was joined by thousands of other messengers and a vast heavenly choir. They praised God, saying, Glory to God in the highest, peace on earth, and goodwill to all men who bring pleasure to God. As soon as the heavenly messengers disappeared into heaven, the shepherds were buzzing with conversation. Let's go to Jerusalem right away. Let's see what's happening. Let's experience what the Lord has told us about. So they ran into town, and eventually they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a feeding trough. After they saw the baby, they spread the story of what they had experienced and what had been said about this child. Everyone who heard their story couldn't stop thinking about it and what it meant. Mary, too, pondered all of these events, treasuring each memory in her heart. The shepherds returned to their flocks, praising God for all they had seen and heard, and they glorified God for the way the experience had unfolded just as the heavenly messenger had told them. That's the story. We've heard it read to us by kids in Christmas pageants. We've heard it from the pulpits. We've heard it on peanut specials on TV (laughs) over the years. This story, when we stop and camp on it for a while, has always had the power to radically upheave everything we believe about what's possible, about who God is, about who we are. In this message is so much. It's a revelation. This is a miraculous encounter with angels. Mm -hmm. It's not just a message being sent through an angel to a person about something that will happen. It is an angel experiencing Mm -hmm. the message. He carries this news, but for the messenger himself, if you can call an angel a hymn, standing in front of the shepherds, it is not difficult to see this angel dancing around like he's excited. Something very important is transpiring in the heart of this angel. Yeah. And he is excited to share it with the shepherds. And of course, there's always a definitive in a message from God. He gives a sign. This is how you will know that I'm telling you the truth. Interesting part for me, honey, is that the truth he's telling them to look for is one of the key underlying messages of who God is. He says, look for a baby wrapped in rags and stuck in a feeding trough for animals. That's a total non sequitur for anybody in normal life, except for those he's speaking to. These shepherds know this. They know exactly what to look for because they deal with it every day. They use swaddling cloths to wrap their own animals when they have injuries. We hear it from the Psalms. David would talk about saving his sheep and binding up wounds. He was a warrior king, but also a shepherd. He used swaddling cloths as bandages. Mm -hmm. This baby was wrapped up in a cocoon of band-aids. God's healing is, I think, symbolized in that very thing. The tenderest part Mm -hmm. of humanity, the most vulnerable part of humanity, is literally wrapped up in a bandage, waiting for us to allow it to grow up to be safe enough to walk among us. And of course, it's also a symbol of the poverty of those. He wasn't dressed in a christening robe or a beautifully woven and soft blanket. Mm -hmm. These are rags. We have to remember this at the very beginning here that God says, I've come to you wrapped in rags. It's one of these things that doesn't make sense, a non sequitur, like you said, because here the angel has just told them that he is a liberator, a king, he's the anointed one, he is a very important person, and yet 
He had such a humble beginning. We hear sermons on that in our Mm -hmm. churches. I did a Google search of royal babies, Mm. and these pictures that come up are just... If if nothing else, the the castle in Windsor and all the kids are part of the royal family. Super interesting pictures of these lavish robes, like you said, on these infants, that there is no way you or I even maybe could carry these robes because they're (laughs) so huge and so heavy and so (laughs) diamond studded or whatever. That's the image that we have in our minds a lot of times of a king or a of royalty. A royalty. I also think forward into the teachings of Jesus. He talks about poverty as being something that is of the spirit, but that there's a kind of poverty that's rich. If you're poor to the things of this world, you can be rich in the things of the spirit. And the Beatitudes talked a lot about those particular issues. He knows from where he comes as a human being. He also knows the richness, the wealth, which he set aside for a time to come to be with us. No matter what Jesus appeared as in this world, a mighty royal king with robes and horses and chariots and armies, or in a manger, any state of mankind compared to where he started Mm -hmm. is infinitely different. He's already impoverished himself from everything he's ever created to become part of that creation. It's an impossible step down that God took to be with us, no matter what he appeared as. But he went the extra measure for us to perceive how far beyond even our measures of wealth he went. Mm -hmm. At the same time, I think God is specifically saying he has not set aside the true wealth, which is his communion his intimacy, his absolute first-person presence with his Father and with the Spirit between them. Mm -hmm. He hasn't let go of any of that. In fact, he's going to grow into it in a truly and uniquely human way that we can finally relate to. When I read the story of Jesus' birth, it seems so desperate of God to become a baby, to be formed in the womb of a woman, of a young girl, and to be born, to go through that. We've had four children It's traumatic for me each time. It's traumatic for the babies when they're born. It's a beautiful experience, but there's a lot of trauma there. A lot of risk. And a lot of risk. And especially in this particular time in history, there was a lot of risk to birth a baby. And I think, wow, God could have done this in so many other ways. And yet he chose (laughs) this very difficult way to come into the world. I understand that God was protecting this baby, all of that. And I know that it was miraculous. Just having experienced childbirth, having gone through that as a mother, it is traumatic. One of our children nearly died when she was born. She doesn't remember it. But then to hold those babies in my arms, and you felt this as well, what joy there was, what peace there was in that moment of this person being revealed. And the peace is something that surpasses understanding for us. Now, of course, it is fair to say that we're talking about our perspective of God's actions. Absolutely. I don't know that God is desperate or is scrambling to find solutions to the problem. I do believe from the foundations of everything he created, from the moment he conceived of the universe, he knew. In that perspective, as he reveals it to us a little bit, his plan is perfectly his plan, and he is happy, for lack of a better term, to enact it. And he's going through this plan with great purpose and love. Mm -hmm. But from our perspective, we are desperate. We have no idea how God can save us from the situation. Every hope they had in a liberator seemed to fizzle out or never seemed to amount to much. And they keep getting invaded. They keep getting sent off to foreign powers, become slaves. This is the history of Israel up to this point. They have been an enslaved people but even more so in their spirits. Mm -hmm. So here steps in a savior 
who enters into their desperation. So if anything, I would say that God takes on that desperation to experience it fully, to be one of those who are desperate. Right. But not that God is desperate for a solution. That would be my read on it. I guess I don't mean that God didn't know what was going to happen, so he was scrambling for solutions, like you said. But the passion that we see that God has for us to choose this way to reach us, to have relationship with us. There's a song that we've often done in our church, and I'm sure that many others have, and there's a line in it that says, the overwhelming, reckless love of God. And there's been a huge debate about that with people that we know. Can God be reckless? What does that mean? And this looks very reckless. What was God thinking? Iffy. It's very, woo, could this really happen? Or not just could it happen, but that's very risky for God to step into the world in this manner. And it does look reckless to us, and it does look desperate to us, like you said, from our human perspective. No, I know that God had a plan from the foundation of the world for Christ to come and be our salvation. But looking at this story and all of the characters involved in this story, it does. You can't escape the desperation. Right. it, it, It looks that way. And, of course, the shepherds, they didn't question it. What do you mean a king is going to be wrapped in swaddling cloths? They just accepted the face value of what the angels said, and they understood the symbols. And so the word came to those who would understand it. And that last phrase the angel says, peace on earth, and God's favor on whom he wants to have favor. There's much to be said about that word peace on earth. It's not, as far as I'm concerned, about this generalized feeling, like Mm -hmm. there's peace over the earth, like God has settled all of our minds. He's saying peace is on earth. And I think he's saying Jesus has come. Jesus himself is peace. He's the peace. And he's a perfect peace with his Father and Spirit. There's nothing about his identity that's in question. He's going to grow into it and realize that, hey, I'm both man and the Son of God. But there's never, it seems in the scripture, any doubt in his mind about who he is or how he's loved. He knows his Father. Mm-hmm. He also knows his earthly dad. He loves them both. That's pretty evident in the way he honored his family. Right. This expression of peace on earth is God saying, I am here. Because mm-hmm. God's never not at peace. He may mm-hmm. wage war, but he himself is never torn or anxious. unsettled or anxious. Mm-hmm. He knows who he is. And Jesus did too. So understanding that we have received peace means we have received God himself. Right. Because God is peace. One last thought about what the peace of God means, and that's the story of Simeon receiving the baby Jesus for his time of dedication and his circumcision at the temple. Can you read for me around verse 25? Sure. While fulfilling these sacred obligations at the temple, they encountered a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was a just and pious man, anticipating the liberation of Israel from her troubles. He was a man in touch with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had revealed to Simeon that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's anointed one. The Spirit had led him to the temple that day, and there he saw the child, Jesus, in the arms of his parents, who were fulfilling their sacred obligations. Simeon took Jesus into his arms and blessed God. Now, Lord and King, you can let me, your humble servant, die in peace. You promised me that I would see with my own eyes what I am seeing now, your freedom, your peace, raised up in the presence of all peoples. He is the light who reveals your message to the other nations, and he is the shining glory of your people, Israel. Jesus is being declared the peace of the nations, being declared the peace of the people of Israel, and his personal peace. Mm -hmm. He knows his hope has been fulfilled in this life, which tells him that his hope for the life to come is also fulfilled. 
So there's a huge amount of hope and gratitude in Simeon. But that word at the very beginning of the verse, translated in your version as the liberation of Israel, Mm -hmm. the root word there is the consolation of Mm -hmm. Israel. Mm -hmm. The consolation is something that is meant to comfort. It is meant to bring peace. And to console us. And bring us to a place of peace. Mm -hmm. And the idea of consolation, of course, we use that as kind of like a throwaway word in modern language. The consolation prize, right. which is meant to make you go away not unhappy. And that's what I initially thought of when you brought that phrase up to me earlier. You're the best of the losers or the worst of the winners. <laughs> this is meant to be a true consolation. God came literally to give consolation to those who needed it. And that, of course, by Simeon's definition of his faith, is the person Jesus. I think to see it in that manner that you're talking about as being a consoling We have to be willing to see our own depth of need Mm. as well. In arrogance, we can look at that word and say, consolation prize, that's not what I want. I want the real thing. I want the big thing or the first prize. But when we look at our desperate situation, like we talked about earlier, we see that we need consolation. And God provided that. In my sin, I need consoling. I need to come to a place of realization that I have a need and only God can fill that need. A truth that sets us free. Exactly. An authority that has the right to address the situation with power that Mm -hmm. God can effect a solution to our problem. If you go into a place where a tragedy has suddenly happened, like a car wreck or something, and you're consoling somebody traumatized by the event, they're not in their right minds. For sure. This is not the way they were yesterday or even Mm -hmm. that morning. Something has shaken the moorings of their life, Mm -hmm. and you're there to stand in the gap for them and try to hold things together or be the person to think rationally when they can't. Sin is a kind of spiritual trauma, is it not? Mm -hmm. It does not leave us rational. We lash out. We do things that are not rational or not in our own best interest at times. We act irrationally, Mm -hmm. and yet the consoler comes in to help us come back to a place of reality a place of understanding and acceptance of the situation as it is, but not settling for grief as the end of things. And Jesus has come to do both, to console us in our anguish, but to console us to a hope for something new. Mm -hmm. So I believe that this is the opportunity for us facing Christmas. God came to console us, Mm -hmm. to bring us peace, to be peace for us. And that's why our theme at the end of Advent has been the peace of God. May you all celebrate the peace of God around your Christmas tree this Christmas. Honey, for this portion of our program to follow on on this theme of the peace of God, before we get to Christmas, what can we do to wrap up Advent well? Well, the fourth week of Advent is symbolized by the peace candle. And we talked about peace in our earlier segment today. So you light the fourth candle, and you read these scriptures on peace. Let's start with Isaiah 26, verse 3. You will keep in perfect and constant peace the one whose mind is steadfast, that is committed and focused on you, because he trusts and takes refuge in you with hope and confident expectation. Mm, I like that. The next scripture is Psalm 23, verse 1 and 2. The Lord is my shepherd. He cares for me always. He provides me rest in rich green fields beside streams of refreshing water. He soothes all of my fears. I like that translation. Mm -hmm. And the last scripture in this section is John 14, 27. My peace is the legacy I leave to you. I don't give gifts like those of this world. 
Do not let your heart be troubled or fearful. Don't. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus is also talking to his faithful disciples, people that followed him up and down, through and back, all over the Holy Land. You would think by this point they would get it, that when he says do something, he means you can. (laughs) Implied at every command of Jesus is the expectation that what he's commanding is possible. Mm-hmm. There's nothing that God has ever commanded through Jesus that is not attainable in the human life because Jesus modeled it for us, and he gave us all the tools necessary to do it. That may seem like kind of harsh advice because people have a hard time with anxiety or they have a, a lifelong struggle with depression. These are not unusual things, even for Christians. Mm-hmm. So it's not like we're saying that to be in Christ means you are absent from all of these kind of struggles. Nothing could be further from the truth, because even Jesus facing the cross, we know, went into deep emotional trauma, anticipating what was coming. Mm -hmm. Don't hear from us that we're saying, you must do these things in your own strength. Mm. What we are saying is the Bible makes it very clear that when Jesus commands something, it is possible. Right, right. Well, this fourth Sunday of Advent, we want to give you some conversation starters, and here they are. Describe the circumstances that Mary and Joseph found themselves in after Jesus' birth. Mm. From a worldly perspective, do you think they had a reason for peace? So who knows what they might have been trying to escape from. We do know that they're in the lurch right now. They now have a baby. They're still living in a cave. The next question is, how do you think the miracles surrounding Jesus' birth, the prophecies fulfilled, angels' appearance, etc., bolstered the faith of the young Mary and Joseph for their future life as earthly parents of the Messiah? Well, my first answer is Mary stored these things up in her heart. Mm-hmm. She had a good memory. She didn't stop remembering these things. Something that came to mind while you were just reading that scripture, honey. What about all those shepherds? Mm-hmm. They're still in the area. They're still in town. They still shepherd. Right. Now they know Mary and Joseph. They know where they're living. Were they bringing potluck by? I mean, <laughs> were casseroles lining up to take care of this young couple they knew was stranded in this cave with a feeding trough for a cradle? I don't know, but it would seem to me like they wouldn't have forgotten them. Mm-hmm. The story's getting around, and Mary and Joseph, because of the story, are making friends. That really wraps up the Advent wreath that we've been talking about the last few weeks, the different candles. I just want to recap. The first candle was hope. The second candle represents faith or preparing the way. The third candle is joy. Mm. And the fourth candle is peace. And some traditions will add a fifth candle in the middle of the wreath, and they call that the light and purity candle or the Christ Christ candle. candle. And that candle is lit on Christmas Day. These symbols, they're not just decorations. The candle being lit is supposed to be indicative of the thing that God is lighting in our hearts by His Spirit. If we have hope and expectancy and we follow the promise and we celebrate the birth as being true, Mm -hmm. those candles are symbols of a huge flame that God is now burning in our hearts. Mm -hmm. And that is our heart for you. That as you celebrate Advent, we're talking about igniting a fire. And we hope that God will do that very thing in your hearts this Advent season.
If you missed anything today, well, you can listen again anytime. Just open up your browser on your computer or smartphone or even your tablet and go to CompassionRadio.com. Again, it's CompassionRadio.com. Now, if you liked what you heard, please consider supporting Compassion Radio first with your prayers. You know, when you pray for us, God increases the effectiveness of this ministry by empowering the Compassion Radio team for service and by opening doors of opportunity for us to be a blessing to the body of Christ. Now, second, would you please share this broadcast with a friend or a loved one? This is going to help us reach as many people as possible with the important work God is doing in the lives of those who live in a missional way. And really, that's all of us, you and I. Finally, please consider supporting this ministry financially. You can give a one-time gift, a semi-regular gift, or you can become a Compassion Radio Vision Team member. And that means a regular monthly gift for the amount of your choosing. You know, this ministry is 100% listener-supported, and that means it's your gifts that make it possible for us to continue. You can support Compassion Radio right now by calling 800-868-2478 or by visiting CompassionRadio.com. That's 800-868-2478 or CompassionRadio.com. You can also text the word COMPASSION to 53445. That's the word COMPASSION to 53445. Four four five, And of course, you can always mail your gift to Compassion Radio at P.O. Box 2770, Orange, California, 92859. That's P.O. Box 2770, Orange, California, 92859. And thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy day to listen, spend a little time with us. Be sure to join us again for more Compassion Radio with Bram Floria. This program is sponsored by Compassion Ventures Incorporated and your generous financial support.